Welcome to Oilfield Talk. My name is Trey Fought, and I'm host of Oilfield Talk podcast. We want to speak with workers from all other aspects of the oil and gas industry and allow them the outlet to tell some crazy, amazing stories you just wouldn't believe are true. Not just the wildcats, the drillers, the roughnecks, the roustabouts, but the land-based offshore drilling operations, service companies, vendors, third-party personnel, production, transportation, all aspects of the industry that provide expertise throughout the oil field industry. But each of these have many, many hilarious stories to share about their time in the oil patch. I have no doubt that we will be able to share entertaining stories or tell tall tales that anyone who works in the industry will appreciate and get a hearty laugh while listening. But this is also going to be a family podcast. We'll be able to invite our families at home to listen. Although they won't believe half the stories we share, they may have a couple of dozen questions. Maybe it will give them and everyone a greater appreciation of the jobs we have in the oil field and why we enjoy our oil field family for half a year. So please take an hour or so out of your day. Give a listen to the Oilfield Talk podcast. Hope you enjoy the stories as much as I enjoy bringing them to you. It is the 14th of January, 2024. I'm currently offshore at work in the Gulf of Mexico. Just finished editing Mr. Irwin Guidry's podcast. But I do need to apologize up front that the sound quality on this one is not as good as I hope. But you got to understand, we were sitting outside right next to the traffic, horns blaring, people revving their engines, turning their music up. I did my best to blur some of that stuff out. But listening to the final edit, you can hear where it's kind of clippy and choppy, where I actually was removing sounds, but it still sounds funny. Hey, it is what it is. We're doing the best we can. I'm learning every time I do one of these podcasts. I appreciate everybody listening. Hope you enjoy. Erwin Guidry on Oilfield Talk. All right, we're recording. So anything you say can and will be used against you in the oil field. All right, welcome to Oilfield Talk. I'm in Lafayette, Louisiana, doing the uh, Permian Basin hiring event at the what is this Hilton Garden Inn right across from the Cajun Dome we're sitting out here under some beautiful blue skies about 56 degrees I got the trailer parked the doors open and I have never seen this many people at a hiring event I mean the line is wrapped two there's two lines now wrapped literally around damn near around the block cars left and right I had already set up an interview with Mr. Irwin Guidry who's sitting here right now I said, hey, this is what I'm doing tomorrow. He said, I'll meet you over there. Well, he beat me by, I don't know, close to a half hour or so. When he called this morning looking for me, it sounded like there was a, a concert. I mean, just so much background noise. Now I see exactly why. I don't know. There's thousands of people here. Uh, I mean, I guarantee it. They're filling up parking lots front, back, both sides. It's fun. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go walk around there in a little bit, but First off, I'm going to interview Mr. Irwin Guidry, tell us some stories, and introduce himself. Name's Irwin Guidry. Not too sure what kind of stories Trey's wanting. <laughs> uh, probably got quite a few. I just have to jog the memory and uh, think of a few, I guess, you know. There you go. How long were you in the oil field? What got you in the oil field? Just start there. I just, I just started the oil field in 1973 as a roustabout on land and went offshore. 
in that day you could you could move up pretty quick if you had the desire and the and the gumption and the and the want to moves up pretty quick. I was pushing tools at uh, 21 for uh, a small company, C Drill. Moved around a little bit, worked a couple of years on land rig in Oklahoma. Went to work for Marlin Drilling when uh, we had the downturn in the in the early 80s, and uh, made the transition from Marlin to in uh, March of 83. And I pretty much stuck with until I guess November, December of 22. So I was just a few months short of being 50 years in the all of you. It's been a good run. I was talking to him just before we started recording, and I said, he's been in the oil field 40 years. He's like, no, I've been in there 39 years and 10 months. I said, okay, let's just, uh, I'll call that 40 years every day of the week. You moved up quick. When I met you, you were an OIM, which is the main man in charge and responsible for a floater. I saw you on the Ambassador, actually. That's where we met the first time. Great, great great reputation. This man is very well respected, always helpful, willing to lend a hand and operated a very, very safe ship. I want to tell you, I appreciate that because you always gave the safety side, the support that that we needed. We required that. If we didn't have that, then the hands just wouldn't, wouldn't follow through. You want to hold it up? It was easy to do. Uh, I came up with a time when it was uh, pretty hard nosed, pretty rough. If uh, a guy mashed a finger or he hurt himself, you just kind of taped him up and kicked him in the butt and sent him on his way. Where now we're more mindful of uh, of the injuries that and the potentials for hurting people. And I just grew into that position a little more as time went and realized how serious things can be from some of the injuries that I had to deal with without the medic on board and things like that. And, and it gets pretty serious. I've, I've been involved in several fatalities that uh, I'm not proud of, but nonetheless, it was all learning experiences for me on what to and what not to do. So it helped me protect the people more. Yeah, we all we all definitely learn from those experiences. So I just want to pardon the, the audience. I've got uh, all this background noise. I, I won't know until I get to, to the end of the production to see how bad it's going to be, but I'm going to do my best to clean this up so everybody gets good, clean sound. I like the older oil field stories. I don't know if you listened to the introduction, but I started this when a friend of ours in the company was telling an old story and everybody was listening to it and laughed and enjoyed the story. And then about an hour later, everybody was looking at their phone. They weren't talking to each other. And I said, we're going to lose those old stories. They're not getting passed down like they used to. We used to sit around the galley. We used to, you know, play cards. We used to, you know, hang around and talk. And now everybody just goes off and plays with their phone. It's just a change in times. And, and I just know we're going to lose some of those stories, lose some of those stories. And I hate that. That's what actually inspired this podcast for me to start capturing some of that and have it for records for people to listen to. I really don't care what you talk about. I like the fun stories, the crazy stories, the stories you just wouldn't believe Unless you were there, I want to know your history as well. So that kind of gives you an idea of what I'm trying to capture. You can lead it wherever you want it to go. I don't know. Uh, there's a few that starting to come to mind. I know one of them with uh, with I uh, was uh, on 
oh, I don't remember the year. We had had some major equipment problems where we had dropped the BOPs and we were recovering from that. I was needing a safety man. So uh, a new safety man shows up on the boat. My barge engineer, Jimmy, he came to me and he told me, he says, man, I got you. Your new safety man, he said, I don't know about him. He's standing in the middle of the basket, holding on the both sides of the basket. I said, well, just put him in the hospital. I'll come see about him here shortly. So my expectations of my new safety man were, were not real comforting, I guess. I did break away long enough, went into to the hospital to see my new safety man, which was Scott. And uh, he's, Scott's sense has moved up with I think he got the VP at one time, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure what he's doing now. But nonetheless, Scott was is a real sharp guy. I went in there and told him I apologized. I couldn't meet him. I, I showed him where the safety training manual was that he need to just about memorize that. And he needs to read it and be familiar with our policies and procedures and, and the do's and don'ts. And he needed to be able to ready to help us, you know. I left and went out, and this was early in the morning seven eight o'clock in the morning that's that that was his orientation on the rig <laughs> yeah welcome aboard there's the manual i had the same orientation i went out and i didn't come back in until like i think eight nine that night and i was sitting in there and i thought about my new safety man so i went in there to, to check on him and uh he tells me he says yeah i found where the galley's at you know i said i said well that's good to know and he told me he says uh I read the majority of that safety and training manual and I looked at him and I just kind of said, no way, you know, no, no way. And I said, okay, that's, that's good. You know, and I thought I really got a winner on my hands here. I uh, questioned me, watched a few videos. The next morning we were ready to run the BOPs back and uh, Ronnie was our manager. Ronnie and myself, we gathered the crews up. We're going to have a, pre-job meeting and it was something that we were just getting into pre-job meetings and the documentation and all we really hadn't started it yet but it was in in place scott walks up to us large group of guys standing out on deck starting to talk about the job and uh, he come over to me and he whispered to me he says if i'd have known we were having this i would have had that paperwork ready and i said what paperwork scott he said well we supposed this is a pre-job meeting he's supposed to have paperwork and I was going to bring it out if I'd have known, you know. I said, why do you know? He said, I read it in that safety and training manual. So apparently he read the majority of that manual in one day. Scott is very smart. He is a vice president for a different company now and a very, very smart man. He was our director. Yeah, he probably read it. You're absolutely right. He's just that that type of guy. Yeah, he knew he knew a lot out of that manual and he was good help. It didn't take him long. He paid for the effort that we gave him and, and bringing him along. All we needed was to keep him keep him guided. He was very sharp. And I think he had something maybe like a photographic memory or something. You know, he was he was special. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he moved up. He was a paramedic as well. And he just yeah, he's just that kind of guy. This is uh, now they're parking on the side of the look at them. They're just pulling up across the curbs. I mean, the line is just crazy. I uh, know. I hadn't seen anything like it either. Anything you want to talk about? I don't know. That transition between me and the wife from working a rotation all these years, that was a big transition for me and the wife. You know, it's getting better and it's gotten a lot better, but she just didn't know how to handle me being home all the time, you know. So that's a big transition. That is a big transition for both of you, I'm sure, because you're used to 
I guess, your time away. And, and as you already mentioned once to me, the people, the friends, hey, there's a good topic right there. I mean, the camaraderie in the oil field is crazy. Yeah, and, and that's that's what I miss. I don't miss all the bull. I don't miss all the things that went with the job other than the people and mentoring guys and tutoring them and helping them. And when they screw up, you sit them on the couch, kind of slap them behind the head a little bit, show them the right way and help them from there, you know. And and that's what meant the most to me. Instead of a, when I started, it was a kick in the butt and no lecture. Just a kick in the butt and get on your way, you know. I do miss the people. And I've met a lot of people, have a lot of people I consider close friends from all over the world. You know, Myanmar, West Africa, Spain, the UK. You know, I did five years in the UK, so I'm still have some ties to the UK. This man has millions and millions and millions of flight miles. I guarantee it. Uh, he's been around the world many, many, many times. Yeah. And you 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 take away something I always did. I always try to take away something. I'm only as good as the people I surround myself with. I, I always did. It took me a while to figure that out. But after a while, you you realize you take care of the people that take care of you and it's going to work out. You know, that's good management right there. That's the sign to me. A, a good manager is I don't know everything, but I get the people that know Everything about that topic and everything about, you know, mechanical and everything about BOPs, the good ones. When you find those gyms and hang on to them, you create a team that's just unstoppable. Yeah. Sometimes you got to just make the hard decision and sometimes get people to move on, you know, because it's just not what you need. You know, it's not that he's not a good person. He just doesn't have the, the skill or maybe he's not quite capable of picking up those skills in his job position, you know. Just doesn't have it yet. Or I've also found that they don't get along with those people. And we all have personalities and we all, as the team comes together, that team dynamic, and he would fit in with a different vessel and that team dynamic and just doesn't fit with where he is now. Like you said, it doesn't mean he doesn't know his job. Once they find that dynamic, it's, it's great. I mean, there's nothing better than those crews. We've both had them. We've had the hard ones that I'm suffering being here. And I've had the ones that I just hate to leave. Like you said, friends forever. Yeah. And I, I've been telling the wife when things get a little bit better, I want to go take her to, to the UK, kind of visit there a little bit. I spent quite a bit of time there and I have a lot of people I call close friends and just want to take her and see how it is to drive on the wrong side of the road for a bit. Show her Scotland. Yeah, it's just gorgeous up there. I was fortunate. And when I went to Scotland, they asked me to work over for a few days. And I asked them to push my flight back a few days, which gave me, you know, a little time to go look for the Loch Ness Monster and things like that. I spent time in little bed and breakfasts before they had Airbnb. They had guys that just let you into their house kind of a deal. It was pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I guess one of the toughest places I worked, it wasn't hard work. It was just you felt for the people. And that was Angola. Worked two years in Angola. Still think about the people there. They were so, I guess, depraved and controlled by their government that it was uh, pretty sad to see, you know, where you you only get water for three days out of the week when you're not on the rig and you may get uh, electricity for three days out of the week. And it just it just makes your heart go out to them, you know, and makes you see what it's really like to be controlled for the government to control the masses. You know, had a lot of a lot of time for those those guys, you know the conditions around the world 
are a lot different than what we're used to in, in the United States. They don't have near as much as we do. I've been there as well. Africa, West Africa, South Africa, and feel for them, like you said. Yeah, it just, uh, art still goes out to them. And I think about them quite a bit because it's a different world. But they're great people. They will make the best out of a bad situation. They're happy. They're cheerful. They're friendly. They're, you know, love their families. They want to support their families. Yeah, you just show them a little bit of kindness and, and concern. They'll just go go out of their way to, to help you. They're just, just good people that just don't have a lot. That's right. I'm starting to get waves when people come by. I hope they're all taking note. This is actually, I stole this spot. I just had to figure out where to park. And I said, I'm going to try to get as close to the road as I can. I'll take a picture of it. Matter of fact, I'm going to let you talk. I'm going to take a picture of you in front of the truck. How about that? All right. Give me another story. <laughs> oh, hell. Had a pretty good run in Equatorial Guinea, working for Hess. Yep, can't handle it. That was a pretty good run. Uh, you could tell the Ghanaians were more modern and weren't as repressed as much as the Angolans. But it was very obvious that they did fear their government. And I think it's kind of the norm where they, they have a lot of fear of the, the government. They did well. They were a little more rebellious when they didn't get their way with, uh, I guess, the rig crew. You know, I had, uh, oh, uh, I don't think I'll ever forget his name. Macho, he, he beat down one of our drillers on the drill floor with a hard hat. And then uh, I finally got that... Actually, it was a local guy that separated them, and the driller came downstairs to get breakfast, and I'm trying to keep them separated. And the Ghanaian macho, he he got him a coffee pot out this rig superintendent's office and started beating down that driller with that coffee pot. It was a rather eventful day. And then I had to sneak the driller out of the country that same day. I sent uh, macho in on a flight, and then we had another flight come out. And I put the driller on that flight, and it was uh, kind of like a, a a James Bond type of scenario where each phase of the movement of the driller was uh, was called a movie. You know, we had Throw Mama from the Train. We had nicknamed all the the different phases of men, getting him flown on the fixed wing back to uh, Malabo from Bata and uh, on off, headed back to the U.S., we did get them off safely. I love it. I have to sneak a driller out one time, but we did not name the phases. Hey, the government can listen in. And these guys, a lot of these guys are connected. And you know what I'm talking about, by connected to the government and to the power that runs the country. And that's what happened with our driller. You know, he uh, messed with the wrong person. Think about it. These jobs in these other countries, although you know they don't pay the same thing we are, they're paid extremely well for their location. So who, of course, is going to get those jobs but the families and friends of those in power? So we get that. So we know who's coming out. We also respect the fact that they can cause us a lot of grief. Yep, I, I totally understand that. Yeah, and that was in Angola. I, uh, there was a lot of uh, disgruntled guys over their pay. They seemed to be disgruntled over the taxes they had to pay for the government and things like that. I checked into it and I was concerned about their pay and I, I felt like maybe the agency was was shafting them. 
So I started to kind of raise hell a little bit and try to see if I could help them and figure out what the problem was with their pay. And I got kind of, I guess, kind of on the rowdy side with some of the locals, shore base, to try to get that sorted. And then every time I'd come into Lawanda, I'd get off the plane, I'd walk in, I'd see people were met and carried off into a room and it was Americans and I think it was what I understood was it was guys that they were they were red stamping their passports, their their visa for something they had done. And I got to thinking, you know, I might be the next guy to get red stamped. So I had to kind of back off and try to help in a different way, you know, but I couldn't be too forceful. Yeah, a lot of these in other countries, there are companies that provide uh, employees. Of course, they have to get there a little bit and they may be getting a little more than they're supposed to than the contract calls for. But that's another country and the corruption in some of those places. I have seriously had to buy myself out of a country. I also had one place in the world, only one I had to pay to get into the country. Yeah, I found one of the best ways was these people that work the airports don't know who you know. So whenever you feel yourself getting in a jam, all you have to do is turn your back to them and pick your phone up and let them see that you had your phone and make a call. And even though if you were calling just a number and act like you're talking to somebody and they wanted you out of there because they didn't want to be, if they were trying to shake you down for money or for some privilege or something you had, but they didn't want to get caught. And they thought maybe you knew somebody that you call with the government or some authority so that when you make that call, they wanted you away from them. They didn't want you around. So they send you on your way. I love that one. I'm going to put that one in the need to do. If, if ever in that situation, keep that one in mind because you're absolutely right. They they don't want to get caught, but they will shake you down. Man, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where we head from here. You, you have four stories in you. And 40 years? No, I'm joking. I'm just teasing you. I've got some paperwork inside. It kind of reminds you. I just put like ideas, you know, this happened, did this happen? Or, you know, suggestions or ideas just to kind of spark the memory. I don't know if it's something you want to look at. I can pull that out if you want. Yeah, I guess I got got time. I'm retired. Yeah, you're retired. You're going to sit here wife shopping. So we'll sit here. It's a beautiful day. I mean, I'm in short sleeves. And there's just a slight breeze. It couldn't have be a better day to sit outside on the front porch and watch the world. Yeah, nice day. Yeah, I guess uh, that stint in Oklahoma was a little different, different trip, I guess. You know, I'd never worked land base before. Did do two, three years in Oklahoma. That was pretty, pretty good work. Uh, deep wells, 25, 26,000 foot wells, which was, was a little bit uh, different. The... Uh, Barge work. I did work a brief time on a barge rig for uh, quarrels drilling. That didn't last very long. That was just prior to the work in Oklahoma. Then the big downturn. I ended up. They ended up selling off the company I worked for in Oklahoma. I ended up hiring on as a driller for Marlin Drilling in '83, uh, and just kind of stuck with that uh, that gig for oh, just short of 40 years with that gig there because I was uh, Marlin was bought by Cliffs and then merged into fleet. And that's uh, pretty much where I retired, right there. I guess I should have told you at the beginning, we're trying to not name companies and trying not to name people, at least not first and last names, just to keep them from getting upset. I've actually talked to the company 
in the legal department and they said, yep, fine, you can do all this uh, podcast stuff, but just try to, you know, not call out operations or obviously we don't want well conditions or anything like that. That's not what this podcast is. This podcast is the personal side, the family side, the the funny, crazy stuff that happens side. And I just gave him a, a list. It's a questionnaire that I put together and he's reading through some of the stuff and, and it's designed to just kind of spark the memory of somebody. Did that ever happen? And he's got a big old grin on his face. Oh, wait for this loud truck. I don't think there's a microphone on the market that can prevent some of these loud pipes, the music. I'll do what I can, but but anyway, he, he's got a big old grin on his face, so let's see what he's found. Well, he got one topic of drinking too much. I definitely did that early on in my career, working for um, Sea Drill, and I swear that uh, there was a vehicle, it was a, it was a station, well, old station wagon that the driller had that we all went to work in. And, and I swear that thing could sniff out a bar. The vehicle could sniff a bar. I could seem to always want to turn left or right wherever there was a bar at. And we did do our share of drinking on the way back. And uh, it lasted for several years. And then finally, the, the driller got a DUI eight miles from home and pretty much started changing my ways then, just giving it up. I, I guess another one that uh, I kind of still think about is the environment in the, the North Sea. You don't appreciate that environment in the North Sea, west of the Shetlands mainly, until you, you're really in it and you get to see the environment can give you. Mother Nature can be a beast. The weather up there is unrelenting and just awe-inspiring. I can remember the first time I landed on a rig. Yeah, nobody's around. There's no vessels around, and we happen to be on a location next to a platform most times, all vessels leave the area, so nobody's ever taken a, a picture of a rig in that heavy weather because nobody's left around. But it just so happened we were real close to a uh, platform, and uh, we got some photographs in the uh, 83-foot seas. And it's pretty mind-blowing just to see the sea next to harsh weather floater like the photographs we got. You know, it just, I, and I still keep them. And I think that's a, the screensaver on my wife's phone. I was going to ask you if you have that picture. If you send it to me, I can put it on the website with this podcast so people can actually see it. I've actually posted on my Facebook videos other people have put out that show the harsh condition. And it is. It's awe-inspiring. I was talking about the first time I stepped on the North Sea. I stepped out to the handrail and the waves were coming up to the horizon. Now, keep in mind, we're what, 70 feet off the water or something, standing on the main deck, and the seas looked like they were coming up to eye level. I said, that's that's ridiculous, until I watched one of the waves go up the column and lap over the anchor winch, and I was like, uh-oh, that is some rough seas. Yeah, I'd, I've never seen anything like west of the Shetlands, I can assure you, and uh, I don't miss it. But the boys from there, it was just kind of a normal day. They were accustomed to that weather, you know. The winds up there, too, are just howling all the time. You have to be extremely careful when you're out on deck. If you flip the next page or some other ideas, I just sat there and brainstormed a bunch of ideas that could possibly happen in the oil patch and might spark a memory. Yeah, on one uh, rather bad day, I guess, when we had a fire welding crew that was doing some work in a the column. They weren't following our procedures very well. 
and ended up with a fire in a column. We went through our procedures and, and mustered the fire teams, fire teams on site, and I'm communicating with the fire team leader, trying to coordinate finding a fire, couldn't find a fire, and just kept on. And it was in a column. Any fire inside a column or a contained area like that is really tough, especially when it's one way in and one way out, making sure that you don't pass the fire up and get trapped. The boys were doing all they could. They couldn't find a the fire. I ended up, I'm glad I'm not working anymore because I'd probably get fired, but I, I ended up just heading down there. Knowing where the, the fire was probably at, I went, located the fire, came back out and told the boys exactly where it was. And it was hidden. It was behind the elevator and they managed to put it out. I, I guess I just felt I had to do what I had to do because I knew I could find that fire. I just went after it. You are every OIM, uh, except for one. There's, there's one OIM that this is not true for. Every real emergency that I was a part of, every OIM has had to go to the scene. Even though his job is to stay away from the scene and manage it, every single one of them, except one. I get it. Yeah, I did get busted putting a suit on once. Another fire, still trying to fight the fire. Can't put it out. I went down to the scene told the guy to give me the gear and I started putting the gear on and by that time a manager walks through the door and just showed me the finger like come here and so I had to put my suit down and let them find the fire and that's the only person that could stop you too the rig manager saying come here I don't know man it's, there's a lot up there but it's all good don't stress I mean it's not that big of a deal Two dudes talking. I am enjoying retirement. I can assure you, I finally got a mission in in life since retirement with a small job. Promote your business. Yeah, there you go. I uh, bought a four by eight foot CNC plasma table and I'm starting to make decorative metal items and fire pits and things like that. Just getting that off the ground now. Irwin Gidry Custom Metals. What's the name of it? Lons Meg Metal Art. All right. Do you have a phone number or a website? Phone number is 337-789-9255. My daughter puts up a lot of our stuff, starting to put stuff out that I've built. But she has something on Facebook where she does a lot of CNC work, but it's the the laser and the woodwork she does. You can also send any of that stuff to me. I'm happy to promote it. I'm happy to put it on my website, put it up on the Facebook pages and get the word out. I think I've already put one of your pictures that you sent me with your your designs. We'll make sure that definitely gets up and run some business your direction. I'm sure somebody's going to need something soon. Yeah, I hope so. It's Christmas time. Sure they do. Make a few fire pits. That's my next job. It's the season right now. It's perfect time to build them. They'll be burning stuff before we know it. I checked my wood pile just the other day, make sure I got, you know, enough for this season. And I do. I didn't burn a lot last year, so I think I should be good. This lines are still crazy long. Got people coming by. Hang on. I guess in life we all have regrets. I don't regret working in the oil field. Not, not for a second. It's provided well for me and my family. The only thing that I regret at times is the time away from home where I couldn't make these softball tournaments for my daughter or baseball tournaments or, or the things with my grandkids now because I was working. It was worth it, but I do regret that I couldn't see those those things happen, you know. 
Yeah, that's the price that we pay to provide for our families. We get to see half of it, but we miss a lot of occasions and a lot of Christmases, a lot of Thanksgivings, a lot of birthdays. Usually we make them up every other year if you're lucky, but still you miss probably more than you made. Yeah, it's been real good for me. I I got no real regrets as far as for the work, just the things I miss. Yep. No, I missed a bunch myself. Totally understand. My phone started ringing and it's the the eye doctor calling me, let me know my glasses are in. (laughs) I don't I don't need to answer that right now. You done? I think so. It's all good, brother. Not a problem. I think it's a good thing, though, Trey. I, I was kind of shocked that you were doing that, and I, I think it's a good thing. I'm hoping I, I gave a few things for people to chuckle about a little bit, you know, and realize um, that uh, the work is good, the money is good, the hardships are just that, hardships, but you make the best of them and go on. Yes, sir. I really appreciate you giving me your time and your your history and knowledge and everything else. Something pops in your head, write it down. Well, I'm not that far away from you. This is actually what I want to do in retirement. I want to travel around, travel the country. I want to travel the world. I want to go find those stories of those guys. And I come right to their house. You know, I can do this in, in their front yard. They don't have to go anywhere. These events are good for me because it gets a lot of exposure and I can walk around and talk to people and just get their points of view about the industry. But you, sir, are what I'm looking for. And that is the old school knowledge, the old school traditions, the stories we don't do anymore, like crawl down there and find a fire. Not really supposed to do that. But those stories, that's real. That's what actually happens in the world, you know, and that's what other rig hands will appreciate. You and I appreciate it. This podcast is designed for us and our friends and the rest of the industry to share those experiences and get a laugh and get a chuckle. Loud trucks. To get a laugh and get a chuckle and smile. Yep, I can believe that. That would happen. It's not supposed to, but it happens. Yeah, and I could probably come up with a few names to give you a hand there. Oh, absolutely. Now, that's the other part with this is it it's growing exponentially because you have friends and your friends listen to you and they say, hey, you know, I got a better story than that and keeps going and going. And now that's how I want to try to grow this and get every story I can. I've been away from my house now for more than a week. Now, some of that was school time, but every day I've recorded somebody as well. And that's what I love. I actually just enjoy doing this. Yeah. Before we shut this down, I'm just going to tell one more story. Please do. It. Uh, oh, it's in, uh, I guess, the, the mid 80s on the uh, back then it was Marlin 7, uh, which was changed to the Ambassador O2 push. I was drilling at the time. You know, when things had gone, gone down, I went back to drilling just for the sake of, of having a job. I'm on the drill floor, cutting drill line. The old tool pusher, he was hard-nosed. I mean, he was tough. And he would build all kinds of things on the rig. And he had built what we called the Marlin 7 Snapper. It was a deck scrubber. And it had an air motor off of a Kelly spinner on a, on a Kelly rig. And he had welded blades underneath and screwed deck brushes to the blades and he had a C-clamp that he would adjust the height on it. He he had built this thing, and every once in a while, he'd get him aroused about it, put on that Marlin 7 snapper scrubbing the deck. 
And we're out there getting ready to cut drill line, and the drill line spools right above where this Marlin 7 snapper was. And he had this roustabout that was on the snapper. He was lining him up. He was going to get him to scrub the deck, put a little bit of water, a little bit of soap, and get that, that, that Marlin 7 snapper going. He must have told him, I'm going to adjust it, but don't fool with it. And he cranked that thing up, and he went to scrubbing that deck. And I'm telling you, my biggest fear was that if he ever hit a pad eye, it would be ugly around there, you know. And and it was it probably throw that roustabout over the side. <laughs> it was it was those Kelly spinner motors had a lot of power. It's actually what you you spin your pipe up on an old Kelly rig, you know. Two pusher, he he kind of got him lined up and he left. He went up on the heliport, went in the control room, got him a cup of coffee, and uh, I guess that. That roustabout, it wasn't doing a good enough job, so he's standing on the deck of that thing, and he's adjusting that brush height on that deck snapper, Marlin 7 snapper, and man, that old man come out of that control room with that cup of coffee, and he saw that guy on that deck adjusting that deck scrub. It, it took him about, looked like three steps to make about 80 feet, and he was just all over his butt, just chewing him out because he was adjusting that snapper, you know, but then but that thing was just... <laughs> It was just a beast and a dangerous beast, you know. The things you could do back in the day, they built a lot of stuff that, uh, nope, we're not allowed to do that anymore. Uh, no, we sure can. We don't want to sling people around and cut holes into things and build tools that injure our own people. Yeah. Erwin, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I'm going to end the recording right now. It's actually, you know, absolutely perfect. I'm going to go cross the street here in a minute and do some interviews or let them come to me. I've been getting some waves. Some people are starting to sign up, take interest. Thanks again. Have a great day. Nomad Mobile Productions is a broadcasting and media production company that produces podcasts and provides a mobile podcast studio complete with audio and video recording equipment. We also offer post-production processing, editing, marketing, and publication for podcasts. Our mobile production studio will come to you. Visit our webpage, nomadmobileproductions.com, or our Facebook, 